Hey guys, uh, this is an Easter episode. If you're joining us for the first time, feel free to check out some prior episodes where we explain what we do typically, because today we're going to do some compare and contrasting of a synoptic gospel with the gospel of John, because we're super excited. It's Easter Sunday, aka resurrection, if you're super saved when Jesus rose and we want to talk about all the ways these two narratives or stories of what happened are different. So different. Oh my gosh. So different. We should add um, a bullhorn in the back. Like a music song, rap song. Yeah. Because that's that's my level of excitement. Um, so thank you for <laughs> bearing with us as we are thrilled to talk about two scriptures in one episode. And we'll make sure it's not two hours long. Yeah, we'll try. It'll, it'll be fine. Isaiah's like, I'm not committing to that. <laughs> Hi, friends. This is Under God. I'm Isaiah Lewis. And I'm Jackie Newsom. And we are two outsiders who are coming together to question the text and build community together. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Woohoo! Let's go! Pew, pew, pew! Two scriptures for one episode, Easter spectacular. Yes, yes. Put your put your all white on. Put your socks with bows on. Get those pastels out. Um, church wear a hat. Is, yes. Put your hats on. The good jewelry. No, kidding. You don't have to do any of those things. Jesus doesn't require any of that. But that level of excitement is what we're bringing to this episode. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So we're going to read, like Jackie said, we're going to read two very different understandings of what happened after Jesus was crucified. Spoiler, they're they're so different. (laughs) Uh, And that's why we want to do them together. So we're going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John, which are just in and of themselves, not not the same. Mark is the kind of kind of gospel that's just like real short, real terse. This is what happened. Bam, bam, bam. John's like, well, you see, it just <laughs> keeps going from there. So, yeah, I'm excited. Let's do it. Do we need to? I really don't want to do too much explanation, but do we need to explain Easter at all? Or are there like Easter, a.k.a. Resurrection Sunday, a.k.a. when Jesus rose from the tomb after uh, he was hanging on a cross, dead. Um, is there like are are there misconceptions we need to address, like, or can we just jump in? This is, I mean, so this is a very important religious holiday for Christians. Yeah, it's it's like the holiday. Yeah, the it it's, this is it. Yeah, like it doesn't seem like it in terms of Christmas, like how we celebrate Christmas and the all out, you know. You don't have like Easter lights that you hang from your porch or whatever, but in terms of like what is the foundation of our faith, like Easter is where it's at. And yeah, I was always bothered by like not getting two weeks off at school. Like we should get two weeks off for Easter too. <laughs> um, also, this mm-hmm. is when did Passover begin last night, the night before? Like this, you know, so this is an interesting moment because there are two important, very significant religious holidays, very close together, 
that it is interesting that Christians don't celebrate. It is interesting mm-hmm. to me that Christians don't celebrate Passover because it is, it is so much a part of our Old Testament text beliefs, you know, and, and sort of following. Yeah, it is interesting. And some evangelicals have actually sort of tried to do, like, tried to have Passover seders. And that's interesting, too, because a lot of Jewish people are like, hey, this isn't actually your religion. Like, these are very different traditions at this point. So maybe lay off the all-Christian seder. Mm. So that's interesting, too. Mm. You know, there there have been some attempts to sort of say, hey, Jesus celebrated the Passover, so we should too, which makes sense in my mind, but also the sense from from Jewish people today, like, yeah, but you're not first century Jews. <laughs> like mm-hmm. and we're and neither are we. Yeah. Um, so if unless you yeah. get invited to a Seder, don't host your own because you don't know what you're doing yeah that's real um i want to shout out my religious studies professor from nyu bridget sion i'm now going to send her if she makes the cut i will send her this episode because she is the one who taught me about this idea um she is yeah an amazing i'm gonna call her a historian amazing at death tourism and amazing at sort of thinking through these things these matters of, of faith and tradition and ritual. So shout out to her for really opening my eyes um, to, to ritual. And she is, is she from the Netherlands or Germany? Sorry, sorry, Bridget, if I'm getting where you're from wrong. But the point is that she is, she is not, she is a non-Black person who um, takes ritual seriously. And in my lived experience, I think the Black church has a really, deep sense of ritual. Um, and she really respected that and also was able to talk about like other, other groups sense of ritual. So at, you know, 18 or 19 or 20 years old, she really changed my life. Anywho, why can we get one sentence? Can we get a tweet, a, a throwback tweet, like a, when tweets had actual character limits? Um, <laughs> being what I had. Can we get a tweet from you as to why this is so important? Why um why Easter's Easter aka resurrection is so important. Why is why is this the center of our faith? Jesus didn't stay dead. Yeah. And that means the empire doesn't win. Um yeah, hope for a better tomorrow is evidenced in Jesus's living and living again. Yeah. And coming back for us. Yeah, I think that's good. Maybe I'll tweet that when this gets published. Anywho, all right, let's do this. I'm ready. I'm going to start. We're going to start with John chapter 20. We're going to go from verses 1 through 18. We're reading from the CEB because it is accessible, easy to understand, and will hopefully make very clear all of the differences in the stories. All right. John 20. Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter 
and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive to the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus's head. It wasn't with the other cloths, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? She replied, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. As soon as she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. She then told them what he said to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapters 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, Who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the, on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go, tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As promised very different very different not the same yeah like not even a little bit well a little bit maybe right we have people at a tomb communicating with one another yeah and the tomb is empty and the tomb is empty so what's the first difference that stands out to you well so going out of order, right? The first difference is at the end where they didn't say anything to anyone. 
in Mark mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. in John, it's like, I'm telling everybody. Yeah. And I mean, I love the ending of Mark because they said nothing to anyone, but we already know that clearly at some point they talked because otherwise we would not have this gospel. <laughs> and I just love that because, you know, there are these other endings. There are two different endings that people have sort of tacked on one in the second century and the other in the fourth century because they didn't like the fact that it just ended with them being quiet and saying nothing. But it just feels really powerful to just be like, yeah, they were terrified. Like this thing happened and they still didn't understand but it's still good news. And eventually, eventually they told, but like they were, they couldn't just yet. I don't know. Yeah, no, exactly. I think also, you know, very significant is that Jesus is in one of them and not in the other, right? Like Jesus shows up and is having a whole conversation and is totally absent in Mark. Why do you think that is? Because, so this is coming from um, Dr. Kraftchik's class, like a review of my notes, but the author of John desperately wants to show Jesus is powerful and Jesus is being in control, right? That Jesus is actually masterminding this whole jam. And so if that's the case, right, it makes sense that the author of John is like, brings, you know, brings Jesus front and center to take control, right? And again, sort of flex the, the power. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, why are you crying? I'm right here. Chill out. I have this, this, and this to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think from my study about my Good Friday sermon, I also want to argue that like the, the Jesus that the author of John is creating is one who's really interested in witnesses and creating witnesses who mm-hmm. have something to not just go back and say, but to do, like, there's always action, you know, it's not like Mary turned around and there was a crowd there and she could tell them like, she had to go do the thing, right? The disciples have to go run to the tomb. Like I, it seems to me that the author of John really likes these witnesses being around and having to do a thing. So I think that's why just like to show how powerful Jesus is. And I think it's a good example of you know, we use this language about like, what does it mean to be a witness, a Christian witness, right? And for me, in my world, in my legal world, right? It's like witnesses really matter, (laughs) right? Mm. And so like the value, the value of a witness um, and the best witnesses have direct contact, right? With the person involved. Mm -hmm. And so it's just so much, what, what, how much better is, is your witness when you've had this experience with Jesus. And, you know, we've, we've mentioned this before, certainly last season, how awesome is it that, that the witness is the women, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a lot of, you know, why? I think because it's a way to show how powerful Jesus is and how controlled, in control Jesus is. But I think also it gives us the benefit, you know, nowadays of, of remembering the power of, of your witness. That's my, that's my sermon, basically. Thank you all for letting me practice. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like especially what you were talking about, um, that Jesus has us go and do a thing, that Jesus wants witnesses, but not just like 
oh yeah i saw that thing but like now you have you mm-hmm. have something to do as a result of what you've seen mm-hmm. so sort of participating in the activity of of god after this resurrection yep so then in mark we don't have jesus we have a young man in white who's probably an angel yeah um in mark it doesn't actually say angel uh which i think is interesting because in john we have angels we have the word angel in mark we do not but we have this messenger who starts out with do not be alarmed in the way of of angels and gives us a message but jesus himself doesn't Mm -hmm. um and so i guess i'm just wondering in like you said in in john jesus is in control and jesus really likes to he has a lot of speeches in john so what does it what work is it doing in mark that jesus is absent like what what changes in the story when that's true is mark the text obsessed with this secret or is that matthew yeah okay yeah that's the one it's um the messianic secret is that what it's called yeah and i guess this is the moment where the secret is out but it's not entirely out because the people who find out are so terrified that they can't say Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. which is a yeah it's like a consistent theme in mark like you don't know what to do you're just you just don't know what to do the disciples are people who consistently don't get it. <laughs> and that is true even into the end. And Jesus is always like, go, but don't tell anybody this thing happened. Yeah. So what's the deal with that? I mean, I guess I could pull up my notes. I don't remember the answer, but I'm sure Crafty gave us one. Yeah, right? What is What does that do? I like Mark because it is... It feels mysterious in a way that John does not. John's like, well, let me tell you. I like Mark because it is, it feels mysterious in a way that John does not. John's like, well, let me tell you. And Mark is like, yeah, secrets, secrets abound. And a lot of demons as well. A lot of (laughs) fighting, fighting demons in Mark. The commentaries that I read about Mark were not, that helpful when it came to this question like why doesn't jesus show up it's like they weren't asking that question Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's the notes are not (laughs) coming up as helpful mark is all over the place mark has no birth stories and has no resurrection appearance stories jesus is at loose in the world going ahead of you away from where you are and telling you to come after him. I mean, that's helpful. That is helpful. Hmm. I like this idea of Jesus being loose in the world, like just running around willy nilly. Like you don't know where Jesus is. It also kind of reminds me of the Holy spirit like Mm -hmm. that, you know, the sign that we have is the empty tomb and the promise that God is like, that God is going on ahead of you. Maybe in some ways it's more, I guess, more relatable to now, mm-hmm. right? Like 
because we don't have the benefit of Jesus calming us down in the garden garden and being like, no, I'm here. Nobody snatched my body. Mm-hmm. Like we can be eyewitnesses to the empty tomb, but not to Jesus's mm-hmm. like bodily showing up and yeah, telling us stuff. So that's, yeah. I mean, it was amazing that you said that just as I was reading, it's, you know, what I wrote in the notes are, what do you do with the waiting? These are folks who are experiencing pushback from their communities after the temple has been destroyed. When is Jesus coming back? Um, so yeah, right? So this leaves us with a lot of questions and it's consistent with our reality. Yeah. And in, and in that way, Mark is, yeah, Mark is relatable, right? Yeah. So I, in some ways, they really are doing the opposite. Like, John wants everything to be super clear. Like, Jesus is in control. Jesus is here. Jesus is taking um, taking hold of the narrative and telling us exactly what's going to happen. And Mark is like, yeah, no. Like, it, it isn't like that, really. Um, there is still, to the very end, ambiguity. Like, we don't know. We, we know Jesus is going on ahead of us, but we, we don't see that yet. Um, and we know that, that the women were, that they, they told the story, but we don't know when they told the story mm-hmm. or to whom. Mm-hmm. Um, we just know that the story got out and it must have gotten out from them because they were the ones who were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were the ones who were the, um, they were also eyewitnesses to the crucifixion. Like mm-hmm. yep. they're the ones who stayed. I think that's really important too. Like they're the ones who stayed and, and watched basically to the end. This, another thing that I just read out of the notes is quote, it is possible to be fallible followers and be faithful. Mm. And that's really necessary, right? Like the freedom of not getting it and still being faithful if that's what Mark is bringing to us, that's awesome. Because that's, like you said, day, day to day. Like that's, that's real. And what I find interesting is that there are more witnesses in Mark, right? Mm. Because we have um, Salome, Mary Magdalene, Mary. And then who do we have? Peter? Well, it says go to peter but we don't okay so we don't even really have peter but we have these three women versus the two women um yeah and john we have mary magdalene and then we have simon peter and the other disciple who's unnamed so we still have three but two of them are men this time yeah and they come later like they're yeah that's interesting and then we yeah. have we have one angel in white in Mark, and we have two angels, right, in John, plus yeah, Jesus. We, yeah, there's a lot more scenery in John as well. Mm-hmm. John's painting a picture. Mm-hmm. Something that I noticed when you were reading was um, twice they say um, she bent down or they bent down. So that was the first time I really heard that, like that the tomb must have been I always pictured the tomb as something that you could just walk into like a closet and 
Apparently not. Apparently it's it's short. It's mm. small enough that you have to bend down and look into. So maybe but there were angels seated inside of it. So it can't be so small unless the angel angels are small. Or if the entryway is narrow and then it gets bigger, like it's a like a bubble type, like a uneven like where Patrick lives, only like bigger in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Patrick and SpongeBob. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's what I just said. Wow. Okay. I mean, it got the point across. <laughs> I knew what you were saying. Yeah. We just get so much more in John. Yeah. But that makes sense. But that makes sense, right? Mark wants you to have to piece it together. Mark wants to make make it this is a mystery and we don't really know all the things and we're just trying to you know we're kind of going along and believing and john is like nope here's here are all the things yeah like i wouldn't be surprised if he was like and there were rabbits in the garden right right <laughs> little little detail there for you right and maybe that's a difference in the writer's philosophies of what is needed to be a follower like Mm -hmm. like maybe for john it's like well you weren't there but somebody was so we need to tell you as much as possible um what happened so that you can as much as possible participate in that story whereas mark is like yeah you can participate you can participate in the confusion that they already had, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe that's what's more important for, for Mark is the sense of bewilderment. It has to be right. Yeah. And like, that's more realistic because there's so much we don't know in life and in faith and in following. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting, even in John, reading about Simon Peter, it says, well, actually, no, this is the other disciple. Starting at verse 8, it says, then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw it and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So it's interesting. They believed before they understood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so even in John... There are all of these sights and presumably smells and everything else. But they still, they, they, they believe, but they don't understand. So they're still, mm-hmm. do you have like a favorite part of the stories or something that really like, I think John takes hold of my imagination a little bit more than Mark, just because there are more details. But is there anything to you in either story that just sort of grabs you? So the, so I think the short answer is no, but reviewing these notes on Mark, I'm like, now I'm like getting into Mark. Yeah. Even more because, okay. It's saying, okay, I just, sorry, we can edit this out, but it's like, what happens when this is a later congregation, 50 years after the, after advent of Jesus on earth, what happens when the wondrous deeds aren't seen anymore? When there isn't the immediate healing or blessing and the congregation is getting smaller and smaller. And Mark is trying to suggest how you move from, you know, seeing all these things to like keeping the faith. The opposite of faith is fear, giving into what happens when the deeds aren't there 
um, but the persecutions are. Mark, Jesus is powerful, but in a different way. Mark talks about what discipleship means and what discipleship means for Mark is being like a child, utterly trusting, radically dependent, right? Having, having this sort of undying allegiance. Um, I think of Hebrews 11, which talks of, defines faith and then right goes down this list of like, by faith, such and such did such and such, so-and-so did so-and-so. Mm. Um, and it's, it's one of my favorite scriptures. Um, and then it, and then I think in chapter 12, at the top, it starts talking about the, like in their course of witnesses or cloud of witnesses or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what made them so was not, was simply the faith, not seeing the thing done, not seeing the thing completed. Mm-hmm. And so I, so now I'm really feeling Mark's bent on like the reminder that like, this is, you may not see it. And so faith is going to be important. You may not feel it anymore. Like when, when I think I'll speak for myself, when I was in high school, when I first had, I mean, I grew up in the church, but when I first had like a, what I would call an independent encounter with God right? I was on a high, right? I was on Jesus high. Mm -hmm. And that high lasted for a long time, to be fair for me, like it lasted years. Um, But eventually the high went away. And at first I worked to get it back, right? I tried to like do all the things to get it back. And that didn't work. And so what I had was holding on to what I knew what I had seen and what I believed and I had to keep going forward. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what Mark is telling us. Like it, like that it's okay. Like it's okay to not be high anymore. Right. It's okay to have bumped into hard times. It's okay to like not be sure, just keep going. And like, that yeah. is, I feel like the epitome like of, of where we are right now and where we have been in this pandemic since since last Easter, basically, right? We were in Lent, we were in March last year when all this happened. And it's like, yeah. I can't see anything. I can't feel any good things. So it's by faith. Yeah. And Mark's congregation is like in the middle of chaos, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. like Jerusalem, like they're, it, it's it's a world of violence. Mm-hmm. There have been sort of exiles of of people. Like there are all these crucifixions that are still happening all over the place. They bear witness to they have to be afraid of. Like is my family next? Essentially. Mm-hmm. So this is still happening, and there. It's not like all the crucifixions ended when Jesus got crucified. Like there are still people who are being murdered this way too, which I, I think is interesting. Like it's like Jesus gets resurrected and that means something and we have to make sense of it, but there's still this death all around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last note that I'll read is, is Dr. Kraftick and I, my notes were pretty verbatim. <laughs> None of this stuff is like my own analysis, just writing down what he's saying. But he was saying Mark is dealing with a pastoral care problem, right? Mm. The question of like how to care for folks in crisis. 
how to care for folks when they don't have the answers. So again, I don't know that I have a favorite part, but in light of in light of that context, which is, you know, and again, we talk about context being so important in light of that context, I really like that, right? Now, of course, yeah. I really like the women, be, again, being there <laughs> first. Yeah. Um, definitely like that. But yeah, I like understanding why this is so sparse, right? Mm-hmm. And it just seems really realistic. And that's really, that's really helpful. Cause I feel like truth be told, while I deeply want to live a John, a gospel of John life or understanding, mm-hmm. I'm more often a, a gospel of Mark, <laughs> Mark understanding or life. Right. And so that, yeah, the reminder that you can be confused, you can be struggling and still be faithful is yeah. really helpful. I guess what I'm trying to think of is, is, what does this mean for, for folks who don't identify as Christian, who maybe listen to this podcast? Like, what is the, what is the good news for them? Like, what do we learn from this? And I think, and maybe, and maybe that's more of the, like, the stories can differ, but there can still be value, right? Mm. Or like lived experiences can be different and there's still value in the narrative. There's still value in the witness. There's still value, right, in, in the work. Right. And that's an important reminder. Like there was this book, I talk about it all the time. It's like, shout out to Mr. Wolf from my 12th grade English class who had us read the things they, the things they carried is the name of the book. Mm -hmm. And it's about uh, Vietnam. It's about this guy, but it's a fiction book, right? It's about this guy who goes to Vietnam and he tells all of these stories of things that happen in Nam, but none of them are, are, None of them are facts. All of them are true. Hmm. Right? The spirit of what was happening in Nam. The feeling. That's that was true. The things were not factual though. And that I think is a good is good news for everyone that like you can like feeling matters spirit even if it's not like a christocentric way like that matters right like these stories are valuable for what the stories can do for you and your spirit and your personhood you know Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with the facts being different Mm -hmm. so it's sort of the opposite of what you were saying earlier about an eyewitness um i mean not an opposite but you were making a comparison to an eyewitness in court where you want things to be, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming you want, you want the, the facts to line up. You want somebody, you know, person A and person B to agree on something in order for us to understand that it's true. And here you're saying it's not the details that make truth. It's, the underlying mm-hmm. mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's yes, and and it, right. It's it's interesting because that's that's why eyewitness testimony or witness testimony in court generally is not great. Cough, cough. Why we shouldn't have the system that we have, right? Is because people people get that people often are testifying to a feeling that is inconsistent with the facts. For better or for worse, right? Police end up testifying to a feeling that is cultivated by 
right? Notions of carceral state, oppression, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Even though the facts are wrong, right? They're, they, they create a world because they, they have an eye to a certain outcome. Like, yeah, I mean, that's why, yeah, that's why it's so hard. And that's why, yeah, so maybe there's a, maybe there's a, be careful with your witness. Mm. I, I remember Allison Henderson Brooks from Candler shifted me from, from the attitude of, this was in our first year, shifted me from the attitude of like, all you have is your reputation mm -hmm. to all you have is your witness. Mm. Tell me about that. What does it, that mean? Yeah. So for me, it was like, it's not about, it's not actually about the facts. It's not about the resume. It's not about this sort of tangible things that in this, you know, capitalist society, we, you know, we note as markers of value. It's mm. deeper than that, right? As a person of faith, as a clergy person, like, right? Cause she was helping me reshape my identity. She was like, it's, that doesn't matter, right? What law school you went to, you know, what grades you got. That's not what this is about. Your witness, your, your core praxis, that's what, that's what matters. Faith, if you will, right? Yeah. The, the, the action centered, rooted in, in help and service and liberation, right? That's what matters. Not you win cases. How do you make people feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that. I um I being the kind of extra person that I am have a tattoo that says I witness. And I got that tattoo. I mean, it isn't entirely a Jesus tattoo. It is in part a Jesus tattoo, but I got it because when I was in high school, there was this teacher who was really kind of a bully, to be honest. Mm. Um, she had her clear favorites and she had her clear people that she wanted to pick on um, and just make life hard for. And mm -hmm. I still to this day, I'm not exactly sure why that was. Um, but I saw her picking on this kid and I was, I was one of the kids that she didn't like. Um, mm. But I saw her picking on this other kid, just sort of chewing him out. And I remember sitting there thinking, there's not much I can do about this situation right now. But what I can do is witness it, bear witness to the fact uh, that it happened, that it's wrong. Come on. That this is not the way things should be and live my life according to that live my life you, in a i'm about to cry like if i could throw there's like a black church tradition if i could throw my shoe at you you better preach this word <laughs> come on in here yeah and and i think that i think that those two things are connected i think that my sense of this is not right and to bear witness to the ways in which um 
to bear witness to the ways in which our world does not treat people as as humans um at, for those who are in power um to be able to to harm or to to remove dignity from others like one of the things that we can do in resistance to that is to see um is to bear witness um to say this is not this is not the way god's world is this is not the way what do i want to say that the the, re- the reason why i could see what i saw was because of jesus mm. is because i know that there is another way um mm-hmm. that and that like and that i knew even even then that like that this teacher doesn't win <laughs> like mm-hmm. like she doesn't get to win like this person has dignity and that I had dignity regardless of how she treated me, regardless of how she treated this other student, that this other student was not less than her, um, that this other student um, and did not deserve the, the treatment that he received and that it was a lie that, that she was putting on him, that, that he should be treated otherwise. Um, and I think that the reason why I could see that is because of <laughs> Jesus um, yeah. and that bearing witness to um, Jesus is to to bear witness to one another mm-hmm. and the suffer- sufferings that we have and also the um, inherent dignity of people and to, to fight for that. I think the difference between me as an 18-year-old, 17 or 18-year-old, and me now is the sense that like, I, I had more of a sense of powerlessness than I think on a on a better day I have now. Mm-hmm. And I think now bearing witness means intervening. To bear witness, like in the Gospel of John, there is this call to go, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the difference between me as a as a as a younger person person in me now is this emerging sense that like in the moment I can I can bear witness to what's true right now um directly that this is not right that there is something Mm -hmm. to be done about it that I can intervene um in the face of injustice and I think that that is part of a growing growing into discipleship um on a better day, I can do that. Mm-hmm. On worse days, I can't, right? I'm, and I run away speechless and afraid. Um, so I'm glad to know that I'm not alone in that either, but that Jesus calls us to something greater. Woo! I'm not going to make it. On this witness thing. So as you were talking and I was about to pass out, um, <laughs> I was thinking about, I mean exactly what you said Jesus oh my god exactly what you said in the context of black folks in America and the ways in which we two things the black church and how there was a really big tradition some churches still do it but not many 
of um, testimony service, mm. right? Where all you do for that service is talk about the goodness of God and like stand up in front of everyone and tell people like what happened, right? I think in more contemporary black churches, maybe you will do like a praise report, right? If you're like on a call or something like that, right? But this mm -hmm. sort of like telling of the goodness of God and how that is an exercise of witnessing. And then I think about what Mammy Till decided to do with Emmett Till's body mm. in an open casket and that being an, like an action of the witness, right? Like she could have simply told the story mm -hmm. of what happened to her son. She could have simply written it in a book she could have whatever else but like the like this display this this showing of this not just when you see something say something when you see something do something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um the history the oral tradition enslaved persons had right of, of just sharing things that would keep you safe right mm -hmm. or would keep you healed or would you know like I'm, i think about all of that and how cr just critical witnesses to survival i think about i think about the great migration and i think about my great aunts and uncles who witnessed things in the south and then left mm. and continued to tell the stories mm -hmm. I think about specifically, so my, she's technically my great aunt-in-law, um, but before she died, I remember her telling me a story about, see, about a lynching. Mm. I remember her telling me about how the person looked on the tree, how far their tongue out was out of their mouth. She was saying mm. their tongue was hanging like below their chin. She, she never forgot that. She never mm. forgot how it made her feel and I'll never forget it. And what, mm -hmm. what power is in that, that witness? It, I feel like in this country, so much of like black folks, folks, folks of color, spend so much time like trying to have to ha having to prove harm right mm -hmm. and like but within our communities it, yeah there are things that we witness that we know to be true even if they're not facts like we like we love this phrase unarmed black men unarmed black men blah 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 police but it's like but but the truth is it doesn't matter if they're unarmed or not right the truth is it doesn't matter if they're running or resisting or not. The truth is, right, the feeling that you get, what you know is moral and just and right is perhaps different from the facts, but like we maintain that witness in our own communities. We do that with t-shirts and buttons, right? And parades and visuals and talking amongst ourselves and, right? Like the truth of, the fact that this politician and the black woman in Georgia who was arrested. Park Cannon, yeah. 
showing the difference between what happens to her and what happens in this coup, right? At the White House, like, in fact, okay, those are two different places, in fact, right? Those are two mm-hmm. different scenarios, in fact. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, what we wit- what we all wit- like, we know what we saw. We know what, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like when you were saying those things, I was like, yeah, right? And the reason why, excuse me, and there are times where we are so, there are times where the action may be delayed, right? Like when you witness things that are happening at your job or at your school and you can't do anything then, but like you never forget it. And then you do something different when you, when you can. Yeah. Yeah. And that is bearing witness after the fact. Like we know the story got told. Right. Even if it wasn't just then. And there are some moral, ethical, divine responsibility in doing that. Mm -hmm. And some power. So that's it. That's all I got. I'll turn it over to you. I don't know, friend. I feel like we hit it. (laughs) I think we talked about, we did the thing. We figured out what we wanted to say. We found Happy the, Easter. Shout out to the bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> the bunnies in the garden. Happy resurrection, whether you know what's going on or not. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Dope. You want to give the benediction? Sure. Friends, whether you know what you've seen or not, mm-hmm. go. Live as free people. Whether you know what you've seen or not. Keep the faith, baby. Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. Lent is over. Eat your chips. <laughs> <laughs>